Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, a product of Talent 409. I'm your host, Colin Cernelia. Go to talent409.com to see how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. On each episode of the pod, we'll bring you conversations with people that display the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. Someone who possesses those seven pillars has courage, driving accountability, integrity, grit, great communication skills, a high level of emotional intelligence, and they can motivate others. Have questions for me or a guest? Email colin, C-O-L-I-N, at talent409.com. And let's chat. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Radio.com, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. If you like the show, please take a minute and on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review. Help us find other dynamic leaders and help dynamic leaders find us. All right, on to my featured conversation today. I am speaking with Elise Levy. Elise is a veterinarian diagnostician as well as the president of the Queen City Toastmasters Club. I've had the pleasure of knowing Elise for over a year now, and I got to serve with her on the board of the Queen City Toastmasters Club in Charlotte, North Carolina. Her background and body of work for what she's done over the course of her career makes for a super interesting conversation, so let's not wait any longer. Here is my conversation with Elise Levy. To the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest on with me, Ms. Elise Levy. Should I call you President Levy? Uh, I don't know. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we can get into that in a little little later in the conversation and people will figure out what we're talking about. But uh, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So glad to have you and I'm going to learn a lot in this conversation. I learn a lot just by being around you in the different areas that we interact throughout our lives. And I'm, I'm glad that we're going to be able to share that with the listening audience here today in as much detail as we can in our short time together. But before we get too far ahead in our conversation, first, I want to give you an opportunity to tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So please tell us, who are you? I guess primarily I am a veterinarian and a leader. So I was in uh, I was an equine practice for about four years after I graduated that school before I kind of felt like I needed a, a little bit of a change to, I guess, free me up to pursue more stuff kind of outside of veterinary medicine. So I uh, ended up working for our state veterinary diagnostic lab system, which is within the branch of Department of Ag for the state of North Carolina. I, uh, that gave me the time to pursue some leadership opportunities within veterinary medicine and actually within another organization that you and I are both involved in, which is Toastmasters. So with the little bit of extra time that I had <laughs> switching, switching jobs, 
I was able to take on a leadership role within Toastmasters as the president of Queen City Toastmasters. So that has been a, a huge journey for me, a, a lot of opportunity for growth and um, a lot of personal challenges that I've had to face. Um, but I really love leadership. I love leadership development. Um, something that I'm involved in within the veterinary world, in the leadership world, is a, an organization called the Veterinary Leadership Veterinary Leadership Institute, which hosts several different events, um, one of which is, is the Veterinary Leadership Experience, which is a leadership training program for veterinarians and or veterinary students and veterinary professionals. Um, so I'm involved as a facilitator with them. And so every year we have, have the, the VLE and I get to go help train vet students and veterinary professionals with a bunch of different various aspects of personal leadership um, from communication to conflict resolution. If we talk a little bit about Myers-Briggs personality, personality type indicator and basically give give people an avenue to practice some of what we talk about through experiential learning. So it's, it's a really interesting opportunity to get to know different leaders within our profession and, and upcoming leaders and the students and some of the younger, the younger generation within the veterinary world. I'm going to help them to discover who they are as leaders. That's something that I've really been enjoying being involved in in the last last few years. It's kind of opened my eyes to a lot of different possibilities and a lot of different areas that we don't always talk about when we talk about leadership. That's kind of those are the main things that I'm involved in right now <laughs> are being a veterinarian, um, being uh, part of, of Queen City Toastmasters and helping the folks at, at Toastmasters to become better speakers and leaders and working to develop leaders within the veterinary profession. That is so cool. And wow, there's a lot to unpack there. And we will get to most of it, I promise. But <laughs> <laughs> from listening to some of the speeches that you've given in Toastmasters before, I know that you at least have somewhat of an athletic background. And I don't know exactly how far that background stretches throughout the course of your life. But can you tell us a little bit about athletics and what part of maybe even leadership that played in your life? Yeah, definitely. I guess my, my most intense involvement in athletics was um, in high school volleyball. So I was a um, on a JV team my freshman year and then on, on varsity my um, I guess junior and senior year it was just a we we had a really really fun team um and i was so i was a, a middle hitter so uh, my sister actually i have a twin sister who played right side and so together we were the, the twin towers <laughs> <laughs> blocking blocking the, the opposing outside hitters um but volleyball i mean it was it was a huge part of my life all through through high school not just during season but I played in, in some more advanced leagues over the winters and did some, some skills camps over the summers. And I still pick it up every once in a while. I played kind of intermittently on just some rec teams through college and uh, a little bit through vet school when I had time and a little bit locally, I'll just go play, play pickup. And it's just, it's such a fun, such a fun sport. And it's just, it's great to get back into it regardless of how rusty <laughs> my skills have gotten uh, without, without constant practice. Uh, but I think it's when I, when I left being on such a team intensive sport, 
I really missed being on the team and just having that group of people that you're with for hours every day competing pretty intensely with and kind of supporting each other. And I think maybe there was a little bit of a little bit of leadership involved. I, I was a little bit more quiet and reserved when I was in high school, um, but I was elected as one of our, our team captains senior year. So I think that maybe piqued a little bit of my interest in helping to motivate and excite and kind of bring bring people together. Aside from volleyball, I, I, I ride horses, or I had ridden horses. I don't ride so much anymore. Um, but I was an English hunter jumper, and I, I actually rode throughout college on our um, our club level team. So we were not varsity. <laughs> we uh, we were not anything fancy, but we did uh, we did have a lot of fun and. Um, Kind of, I gained a lot of knowledge from the guys that I that I rode with, and we we had a we had a great team. So kind of kept up with some of the competitive sport aspects through through undergrad through the riding team. But right now, most of what I do is just for fun, <laughs> <laughs> from an athletic standpoint. Yeah, you've gotten to that. <laughs> Your age. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say that you've gotten to the point where pretty much everyone gets to, whether you're LeBron James or you're someone that stopped playing competitively in high school. There's always a life after sports, right? That's right. Yeah. And when you fall off a horse, at, you know when you, when you're when you're over about sixteen, it starts to hurt. <laughs> you don't bounce as well as you used to. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. I'd like to stick with volleyball for a little while here, though, because you really brought up some interesting points. And I think the biggest one, and I'm just going to highlight this again and then piggyback that into my question, is that volleyball is a very team-centered sport, right? You have to work together. I mean, there's individual aspects to it, what, what sport doesn't have that. But in order to win, you can't just have one person who dominates the court. You have to have a really good collection of team who can pass the ball and do those awesome things that I play beach volleyball every once in a while. And I know whether it's men, women combination, they would crush me if it was ever <laughs> actually competitive, <laughs> but my larger point. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason that I'm bringing this up is because I want to talk about the communication piece of it. And I recently shadowed a volleyball team at the collegiate level, Davidson volleyball team. And one of the things I was most impressed with is the communication aspect. And it's one of those things when I look at a volleyball court, I often get reminded of the quote unquote Bermuda triangle in baseball, which is where an outfielder and two infielders are converging on one ball and it ends up falling in between the three of them, like in that triangle, because every single one of them thinks that the other person is going to get it and nobody's actually talking. And then they all just look at each other and it happens all the time, whether it's like the professional levels, little league, it's the craziest thing. And every time I see like a little triangle form on the volleyball court, I just think, Oh my God, the ball's going to hit the floor. And <laughs> they're just going to look at each other with that same look like we did on a baseball field. But so, I mean, overall you have to have really strong communication, whether you are screaming things out and you're real rah-rah about it, or you're just able to communicate within the confines of that small area on the court. The communication aspect, I feel like, is such an important leadership thing that even though you'd said you weren't really outspoken maybe when you were in high school, to get elected 
captain, they had to have seen that there was some leadership qualities. And I'm wondering if one of those things was the communication or if you think there was something else that contributed to that. Yeah, I think that's that's an excellent point. And it's, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up um, because I, I do think potentially that was a big part of it. Uh, and so I was, especially my senior year, I was starting to learn how to just kind of have fun <laughs> being competitive. I guess I was... I think I think one it was a little it could have been a little bit intimidating, but at the same time I think it was also like I, I don't care if I look like an idiot. Um, I'm gonna try to get everybody a little bit excited about things, and so you know putting yourself out there as someone who maybe doesn't take themselves 100 percent seriously, but still is very obviously strongly competitive, <laughs> um, can maybe uh, may, maybe be a aspect of of leadership. You know you're willing to to put yourself out there in front of people and. Kind of, kind of be the cheerleader, but at the same time, like we got to get down to business. So, yeah, I think that's um, that's, that's a really good question. In addition to that, do you think that the having fun being competitive part of it? Do you think that was a hard balance to strike? Like, if you as an individual are maybe teetering towards like the extreme side with the competitive, and then you have teammates that are teetering towards the opposite side and trying to find that balance where you can all be happy with the effort that you're putting in day in, day out. Was that something that you were trying to accomplish within that? I think it can definitely be, um, you know, when, when you play with somebody or work with somebody who is like a hundred percent competitive and doesn't allow room for a little bit of relaxation, like 100% task driven. And let's let's get this done. Let's win the game. Let's win a match. You know, let's let's finish this project. Whatever it might be. I think for for those people who value relationships, it can be really challenging. And the flip side, when it's very obvious that you're you know playing with somebody who's just you know, not taking everything super seriously, like it's just a game. That can also be very frustrating because the drive maybe doesn't seem like it's there. You know, it may be, but, you know, at some point you got to buckle down and take it seriously. So I think it is a very, it's, it is a challenging balance. Um, but at the same time, I, I know, you know, kind of over the years I've, I've learned about myself that I do tend to take things fairly seriously. Uh, so when I can get back out on the court, like even now, and play around and, and just kind of remind myself that, you know, it's okay to have fun. I think we lose that <laughs> a lot. Sure. Um, that, that, that drive to just, just go play and to just have fun and, and, you know, there's no consequences. I think reminding yourself of that from time to time can help take the, the serious edge off and kind of help help kind of loosen, loosen up a little bit. Cause I do, I do, I tend to be, I'm very relationship driven, but I'm also at the same time, fairly serious. So anything I can do <laughs> to kind of, kind of lighten up and, and remind myself to have fun, I think is, is definitely a good thing. So you have that self-recognition obviously. And as much as maybe you don't want to be as serious at times, it's one of those things that is just innate. That's who you are. So you have to realize when it's coming out, maybe like beat it down a little bit and say, Hey, relax. (laughs) (laughs) How do you do that in a work setting now? Like 
translating that from learning what you did when you were playing athletics and now being in a work setting and being in leadership positions, which obviously mean that you are taken a little bit more seriously externally, but your responsibilities are also a little bit more serious. So how do you find that balance like in a more professional setting these days? So for me, part of it has been finding the right people. So I've got people who, you know, I can go to at work if I need to just relax. <laughs> you know, we've got, you know, I've got people I can go talk to if, you know, uh, you know, I just need to just chat for a few minutes and just talk about something silly. If you can find those people, uh, I think that's definitely an asset. Otherwise, I think trying to keep a a big picture in mind can help. You know, at the end of the day, if X, Y, and Z doesn't happen exactly the way I want it to, does it does it really matter? <laughs> you know, it gets done, um, and you know we're still performing quality work um, and just because maybe we didn't follow everything you know we didn't do something exactly how I wanted to do it sometimes it's just I have to step back and just be like you know what did it get done yes or no yes did I have to do it myself no <laughs> great <laughs> that's perfect um, which can be very hard as somebody who is a little bit more because a very a lot of us that get into vet school are very type A. Um, I think they, they encourage they encourage that a little bit. But then to it is it can be freeing if you if you set the expectations of the people that you work with that you know this this is how I want us to perform and this is how we've decided that we want to function as a team. And if I give you this task, I'm going to trust that it's going to get done. Um, and when when you can have those people again, that that really for me, helps to kind of keep things in perspective. I love that advice. Thank you for that. How far back did you know that what you are doing now is what you wanted to do for your profession? Oh, gosh, like a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so, I wanted, so I wanted to be I wanted to be a vet really since I can remember. Um, we like to tell it. My mom likes to tell a story. We had uh, we had dribbles growing up and one of them got sick, and of course, you know, it's a $5 gerbil. Um, but we took it to the vet, and I think they paid like $90 for an exam and some antibiotics for the gerbil. <laughs> and I was I was medicating him with the little eyedropper. It was, it was oral meds, uh, <laughs> and he bit my finger. And I run upstairs, like screaming and hollering, like stretching this gerbil off of Like he's still biting on my finger. And I'm sort of stretching. I'm like, he won't let go. And we finally got him to, to let go of my finger. My mom's like, do you still want to be a vet? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I, I, we all kind of knew we were in for it at that point. I think up, up until then, I mean, so many kids, you know, we love animals and we want to be a vet. Um, but I think that was kind of the turning point for me where it was it was serious. And probably for my parents, too, they're like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> she means it. <laughs> so, I, I, like I said, I grew up riding horses, and so when I was in undergrad, I was really interested in most likely getting into doing, doing work with horses, which kind of as I, as I moved through vet school, I mean, that solidified like 100%. Pretty much by the time I was in, in my first year of vet school, I knew I wanted to be a horse vet. And so that's where, you know, I did a, a year-long internship at a, an equine hospital, Carolina Equine, um, outside of Greensboro. That's kind of how I ended up in North Carolina from Louisiana. And then I, I spent three years in private practice. And 
was kind of looking for something different. Like I said, something to give me a little bit more um, flexibility, a little bit more time to work on on different aspects of myself besides me as a vet. Something with a little bit better schedule <laughs> than, a, than an equine veterinarian. And I ended up where I am now. And it really, I've been there a little over a year. And I never saw myself here at all. Um, like I said, I saw myself horse vet till I die. Because it was just it, something I was really good at something that just had always made sense it spoke to me now i do basically postmortem exams on animals is is i'm a an animal medical examiner <laughs> basically we call it a veterinary diagnostician and i have loved it um I, i've learned so much and it's it's just been such an interesting interesting path to get here um but i never saw myself doing this like not in a million years <laughs> so it's uh it, it's been a lot of fun though what were some of the things that you learned over the years that now a year back or you can look a year back now and say wow maybe i was a little bit more prepared than i thought i was for this opportunity i mean obviously you got the opportunity in the first place so somebody from the outside saw that you had the potential and the knowledge and the willingness to do the work, right? But what are some of those lessons maybe that you learned throughout the course of your time as a professional that you can look back now on and say, hey, that actually prepared me for what I'm doing now? I think a lot of the a lot of the communication aspects of it. Um, so we're definitely you know nowhere near as as communication intense with clients now as we are in what I affectionately call real practice. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I was doing before was, was extremely communication intense, and so some of the work that I did in school, kind of coursework, and then additionally some of the some of the training I had as a student through the veterinary leadership experience, I think prepared me to communicate empathetically and effectively with clients, which definitely, definitely rolls over. I mean, you know, we take all the classes and, you know, we have, we have classes where we do um, rotations in school where we do postmortem exams on animals and, and we learn all the pathology in, uh, we learn everything about everything is, is basically pathology class, <laughs> everything about all the species. Um, and so, so, I mean, we had, the background was there. It's just, it was a matter of, just kind of refreshing a lot of it. But I think that coming out of practice where I've had to explain, explain these disease processes and what's going on in your horse to, to clients and words that they could understand definitely prepared me for doing what I'm doing now uh, where people want a lot more answers <laughs> because you got to look on the inside. And so they want to know exactly what's going on. Um, so that's, that's been, I think a little bit, I think I didn't I didn't see myself doing as much communication as I'm doing now, um, but I think it's great. I get to do a lot of teaching, uh, a lot of education, which is which is really cool. I think that's that's a lot of what we're here for is we're here to be the educators and we're here to be the number one resource for you and your pet's health, which is which is neat. So it's cool I get to be a, a diplomat or a diplomat, diplomat from the veterinary profession to. Uh, to pet owners and farm owners and veterinarians and, and kind of everybody in between. Do you find that the conversations that you're having are difficult? Are they difficult from the standpoint that the client doesn't want to hear the information that you're giving? Not difficult in the sense that you don't know what you're talking about. 
sometimes. <laughs> but no, I, I'm I'm just wondering if it ever gets any easier sometimes delivering bad news or delivering news that maybe somebody doesn't want to hear, whether it's right there in front of them and they potentially even prepared themselves for it and knew maybe it was coming. But what are those conversations like for you on a daily basis or however often you have to have them? I think the, the most challenging conversations that I have to have now are it's usually, it's usually younger animals that they come home and they find their pet deceased or they go in for a surgical procedure and they pass away during anesthesia and we don't find anything. And those happen, I don't say frequently, um, but the, the majority of young animals that have no signs of sickness, um, you know, if they die under anesthesia, a lot of times, you know, we just, we don't find anything because it's a, it's electrical problems. <laughs> it's problems in the heart um, or things that don't show up under the microscope. And so th- those are hard to say, you know, we have all of this testing available and we still came up with nothing. And I'm really sorry. And I think they don't necessarily get easier. Um, you know, you, you start to develop verbiage to handle the difficult conversations that you have to have every day, whether it's now or when I was in, in practice before and I had to tell people that those were almost harder because, you know, at least at this point, um, you know, the pet has deceased and they're deceased. Uh, and so that's the worst news <laughs> is that, that they're sick and, and there's nothing we can do for them. So to have to give that news when I was in practice was, was really hard. Um, so this is just a little bit different. This is a little more academically difficult. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, sometimes we just, we, like I said, we just don't get an answer. But again, you, you develop, you develop verbiage and you develop a way of saying things. And, and I think the hard part is sometimes not becoming too blasé about it and, you know, relying too much on that verbiage just because every case is super different. Um, and really trying to get a feel for, you know, who's the client that I'm talking to? Like, who is this person? How are they going to respond best? Because um, you can say the same thing to everybody and everyone's going to respond a little bit differently. So that that's kind of where the, the challenge comes into it now is I don't have to give the worst news in the world, <laughs> but how can I ensure that that is received and processed as best that I can? How long of a process is it that you have to build those relationships, like you said, and be able to figure out those things that are maybe going to soften a blow or that they're just going to understand it if you say it one way versus another? Like, Do you have a lot of time to be able to formulate that or is it something that happens pretty quickly? Um, It tends to happen fairly quickly. Um, If if we're lucky, uh, we are able to chat with the owners, you know, if the owner brings, brings a pet in or brings the animal in sometimes, you know, if we can grab them and chat with them, like face to face for me is always way easier to get a feel, (laughs) to get a feel for somebody. Uh, But sometimes, you know, if it it passed away at a veterinary clinic, um, sometimes the the clinic will bring it and we just never get a chance to talk to the owner uh, ahead of time. And so those tend to be pretty quick. But it's and a lot of time, even in, even in practice, um, when we were, you know, if you see an emergency for somebody who's not a regular client, then, you know, that's the first time you've met them and you've assessed their course in, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and you have to give them good news or bad news. <laughs> so it, it can be tough. And, and I think, you know, definitely the longer you know somebody, the easier, the easier that that kind of thing, that kind of conversation can be to have. 
just because you have that background with them. But a lot of times it's, it's a quick kind of snap judgment, snap assessment. And I'm not always right for sure. <laughs> for sure. Not always right. 30 second break to talk about my sponsor, Sweat with Stodds. What a great sponsor she is. She's been with Pod since day one and we love having her support. Sweat with Stodds offers a number of different options to get you on a path to improve your fitness future. Everything from fitness, nutrition, and simple healthy habits. So what are you waiting for? Head over to sweatwithstodds.com right now and when you buy a program, enter the code DYNAMIC at checkout to receive a discount for being a loyal podcast listener. Now back to the show. So just to give it a real wide umbrella, like the whole veterinarian industry as a whole, how do you see it? Like being on the inside, if there's somebody listening that's potentially looking at it as a career, like how would you describe it to someone and say like, this is the type of work that you'll be doing. This is the type of impact that you have. Because I I know my opinion, even just knowing you as long as I have now, but even in the course of our conversation today has changed my opinion on the type of work that you do on a daily basis. So I'd love to hear what your pitch is for people who want to en- enter this industry potentially. First thing I tell them is, is go to your in-state vet school. <laughs> don't, don't go out of state. You know, don't, don't, do that. don't do what I did. Um, no, I think um, there, there's kind of, there's two different aspects or uh, I mean, there's tons of different ways to look at it. I kind of look at it from, from a couple of different views. One, as a, as a whole, veterinarians tend to be extremely compassionate people. You know, while that is awesome, and I think that it's, it's a great thing to have compassion for animals and compassion for their owners, it can also be really exhausting. So if somebody is interested in, in getting into the vet world, I would just warn them to just be very sure of what you want. Um, I think it's an amazing profession and that it has there, I guess even, even just me, for example, like there's so many different things that you can do when you have a veterinary degree, like the possibilities are absolutely endless, but it has to, you, you have to really, it has to be part of you. It has to be something that you, you really want to do. It's, it's not something that is easy to do from, you know, nine to five and come home and just leave it. But a lot of us, you know, you bring it home with you. Um, even if you're not calling clients back, you're thinking about cases, you're thinking about things you could have done better, things you could have done differently. And so it's, it's a very challenging career if you are not good at setting boundaries. Although, like I said, it, it's, it's something that if, Somebody is really, you know, if you're if you're interested in it, it's it's amazing. Um, you just like I said, you do have to be a little bit cautious. Uh, I mean, that's not the best thing to say. <laughs> I try to be, I do try to be really encouraging uh, when people are interested in in becoming a veterinarian. I, I just I do think that you have to go into it with your eyes open mm-hmm. um, and understand that it, it's a demanding profession and it, it's not just a job. And we work we're working hard as a as a profession right now to bring some balance to the profession because it does tend to be very demanding on, on your personal life and on your free time. And just, it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot, <laughs> but it, it, like, it can be extremely rewarding. Yeah. And I mean, even through the course of our conversation today, and again, just learning as much as I have through you over the course of the time that we've known each other, I see this profession more and more as 
like a truly leadership centric type of profession, because I don't know if it really matters what level you're at, whether you just started or you have years of experience like you do, the empathy that you need to have, the precision that you need to have with the situations that you're handling on a daily basis. Like it is, like you said, it is not one of those like nine to five where you can just shut it, shut it down and turn it on whenever you want to. Like you're not dealing with people like traditional doctors when you were you know, growing up and it's like, what do you want to grow up to be? And someone says a doctor and they're, you know, all happy and everything. And it's like this great profession and, and everything, but you're still dealing with life and death on a daily yeah. basis pretty much. And I think it's really admirable and it's something that's definitely, I didn't really grow up around animals growing up. So I, not that I don't have like an appreciation for animals, but it's just something that I've had to learn on my own just by other people who have animals and how much they love them and learning from you as a professional in the industry. And it's just given me a whole new appreciation for the industry as a whole. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think you bring up a really good point that like every day, we, you know, veterinarians are leaders, um, mm. and whether you know whether you're in a, a traditional quote unquote leadership role or not, almost every veterinarian is working with a team. And you know, you may not be in charge of that team, um, but you have either a, a veterinary technician, veterinary nurse, um, or a veterinary assistant, or kennel staff, or a front office staff. You're working with people, and if you know, even if you are a, a solo practitioner out there running the roads by yourself and you don't have anybody working for you, you're working with owners. And you have to be a leader first of yourself and then of your team. And I think that's something that we're, we're getting, I don't want to say we're, we're, we're not good at it before, because I think a lot of people realize it, but the, the owner is part of your team when, when you're working with their animal. They have to have the buy-in. They have to know exactly what they need to do in order to successfully carry out whatever you're treatment you're recommending uh, recommending um and so regardless of, of almost anything that you're doing you are you are acting as a leader that's where i think there is so much potential for leadership training and personal leadership development in the veterinary world because every single one of us needs it <laughs> and everybody can always be better at it i know like there's things every day that i do that i'm like oh there goes, uh, there goes my, my, uh, you know, whatever part of me that I'm trying to work on, you know, that let that get away from me today. <laughs> so I think it's, 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 uh, like I said, it's just, it's just cool. Um, there's, there's so many different places you can go with veterinary medicine and leadership is definitely one of them. Yeah. So cool. And I would love to keep talking about this forever, but <laughs> gotta, gotta keep facilitating through here for everybody's sake, ours included, so we can get some sleep tonight. But I want to talk a little bit about Toastmasters and specifically start with what got you to attend your first meeting and why it stood out to you, like why you decided to join. Yeah. When I was, um, I guess, looking to transition from traditional practice, I was originally looking at getting into working for um, uh, animal pharmaceutical companies, um, so companies that either make drugs or supplements or um, different medications and stuff for animals. And a lot of those jobs end up doing or involving some part of public speaking, be it presentations or speaking um, to small groups at conferences and, and that sort of thing. 
And I didn't have a ton of public speaking training. And I think that actually Toastmasters as an organization came up in a, in a discussion at one point, in one of our training meetings for um, the veterinary leadership experience, somebody somebody brought it up as as a good way to just get some different experience out there. And um, so I found I found Queen City Toastmasters online and showed up for a meeting. <laughs> and uh, I think it was it was a, it was a contest night, and so it was I was really confused, like super lost as far as what was going on because it's contest nights are not like regular meetings. And came back the next week. And I was just kind of taken aback that there were other people out there talking about different aspects of personal leadership. Um, so talking, and I'm trying to remember, I can't remember, it's been a couple of years exactly exactly what they were talking about, but just, just eye-opening that this, this is not just this small group of us that is talking about emotional intelligence or um, you know, conflict resolution and, and all, all these different things that we talk about at VLE, they're, they're out there. Other people, other people know about them too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so it, and it was, it was great because it was an extremely diverse group of people, both from a, an age standpoint and a job standpoint and a race standpoint and a gender standpoint. Um, you know, we had just to have people from all walks of life at Queen City Toastmasters. And it was just, nice to be around people who had stories that were so different from my story, uh, which so many of us in vet school have not the same story, um, but similar stories. We all have, you know, we love animals. We've always loved animals. We want to do it at vet school. We went to undergrad. We're really successful, got into vet school and we did great. Um, And so to, to have people that have had different struggles and different career paths was really was very interesting and so i joined partially for the community and partially because the speakers that i saw were absolutely amazing (laughs) and i knew that that was that was where i wanted to move towards i think i saw queen city as being the vehicle for that change so i joined so you saw it initially as maybe just more of a vehicle for the public speaking aspect and maybe just because you didn't know as much about it, less about the leadership aspect. But I think obviously throughout the course of your time there, not just because you're in a leadership position, but through the people that you've interacted with that I've interacted with, there's definitely a lot of really great people that can offer so many different pieces of advice on a number of different topics and a number of different ideas. What ultimately made you want to take that leap into a leadership position and help the club grow in a little bit more of a direct way, for lack of a better phrase, Uh than just showing up as a regular member and giving your speeches and interacting and being nice to people. Like, obviously that's, (laughs) that's all great, but you are making such an impact and you've made an impact in your leadership position. So I'm curious as to what some of the actual reasoning behind that was. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate um, knowing that I, I have made an impact. Initially, when I was thinking about getting into taking an officer role and, and getting into leadership, it was, I think I had done some reflection. And so I've done all this leadership work and, you know, read all, read all this stuff and, and we, you know, put it into practice a few weeks a year and, 
just really never had, since vet school, really, I was pretty involved in leadership from a, a traditional standpoint when I was in vet school. Um, but since then, taking everything that I've learned, I really hadn't had an opportunity to put it into practice. And so I was, I was interested to see if I could change my kind of instinctive leadership style, which is very much get out in the front and put everybody on my back and just go. And that's a, a great <laughs> way to burn yourself out. Sure. <laughs> so I was, I was interested in, in, in trying to put into practice some of the things that I had been learning and just hadn't really had the chance to, to put into, um, put into effect. So earlier in the conversation, I think it was related to Queen City Toastmasters, but it probably could be just related to your overall leadership journey and some of the personal challenges that you've had to overcome. And a lot of times we see the positives and uh, a lot of times we're also highlighting the positives and you don't always get to see behind the curtain and where some of those challenges come into play and how you have to overcome that adversity. But being able to do that is very much a huge part of being a leader, whether that's just directly with you as an individual or being able to shield a team or whatever it is. So can you talk to us a little bit more about what you meant when you said the growth in the personal challenges that you've had? Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) The hardest part, I would come home. So I've been president since January and for like the first three months I would come home and Tuesday nights like that was the hardest thing I've ever done. Like every week I come home and to talk to my husband, like this was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that the biggest aspect of it is for me, the voice in your head. Um, and so that voice that only looks at things that you probably could have done better or possibly could have done better mm-hmm. uh, and says, you know, you weren't good enough. Or, you know, you don't belong in this position or somebody else could be doing this better. And, you know, even even when you have people telling you, you know, you're doing a really great job. There's a voice in your head that says, yeah, you're just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> you're just, that's, that's, everybody says that to everybody. You're just saying that. Sure. That, that, that voice in your head is something that I kind of have always have struggled with. And kind of over the course of, really since that, this is, since that school, you know, I've had struggles with, with anxiety and it's that voice in your head saying, you know, you can do better. You know, that wasn't good enough. Look at all these things that you've done wrong. And so I've learned some ways of coping that and, and stepping back and, and looking at it, the situation, whatever's happened, um, trying to look at it very objectively and, you know, was it really that bad? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, what exactly happened that, that, that was bad. And if you can't put your finger on it, then is that really a true statement that, that you did a poor job or, and there's always room for improvement. And I think, I think that's even being able to get that voice a little more under control. It's it's a hard balance between honestly, what can I do better? And what, you know, what can I quote unquote do better? Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Um, you know, is it really needing improvement or do you just, just feel that way? Um, because you don't feel like 
you don't feel like like you you're doing doing enough, or you're not feeling like you're doing a good enough job. It's that that imposter syndrome thing, that that little voice that's always whispering, you know, you don't belong. Like somebody else could do this better than you. So that that's been really the hardest the hardest thing to overcome as a developing leader <laughs> is trying to tell myself that you know nobody's perfect, and you know this is. You're just trying some new stuff, and it's okay if it doesn't work out 100% right. That's why I'm here again for another six months, <laughs> because the universe was telling me that I had more things that I could work on. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very similar in the sense that I'm pretty self-critical. And so I can definitely relate when you get that feeling of someone comes up and they say, oh, good job. It just reminds you of like your grandparents coming up to you after like T-ball or something. Like when you're a kid and like, oh, great job. You like you knocked it out of the park. And I'm like, obviously they were just saying that because they're my grandparents and they love me and all that type of stuff. I I could have been like picking my nose out in the outfield and they would have said that. (laughs) I was was just hanging out, taking a nap. Yeah, (laughs) right, right, exactly. And I'm wondering what your opinion is on this because I think it's something that I've had to learn myself as a leader is that for as many things as you do really well and for as many things as you can still improve on the number one thing that I think people who are self-critical and that have that anxiety that builds as a result like you and I do the number one thing that we always forget is that we actually got up there and did it so many people can't get themselves to take that step. And maybe that's why they come up to you and they say, even if it is backhandedly, they're like, hey, good job. And they're thinking to themselves, like, I could have done way better. And it's like, well, then why don't you actually get up there and do it? For me, I've had to sometimes like when I walk away from doing a seminar or something and I'm thinking to myself like, oh my God, that was terrible. And then my wife is like, well, who else got up there and did it? Like you did the work somebody had to do it, right? So I'm just wondering like, what your opinion is on the whole aspect of if you're doing it, like maybe we just need to give ourselves a little bit more credit than we are thinking we're deserving of at this point. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's, it's interesting that you, you say that because when I was, um, when I first started in Toastmasters, even from a, a spe- giving speeches standpoint, you know, I see all these really dynamic people speak. I'm like, that's awesome. I could totally do that. And then I'm sitting there in my head, like thinking of all these, you know, great speeches that I'm going to give. And then I get up there and, and it doesn't come out like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I think if, if you're not, you know, feedback is amazing and feedback is, is definitely how we grow, but you have to be careful sometimes what you allow yourself to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if it's not constructive, which constructive can be good or bad, right? Um, and even if it's not something that's constructive, you know, you file it away and, you know, you respect that person's opinion, but do you act on it? I don't know. You know, maybe if, if you ask for, you know, you know, I did a great job. Like what part of it do you think went well? And what part of it do you think I could have done better? Like, is there somewhere that you, that you can see me doing doing better? You know, that's the opinion that's gonna or should. That's the opinion that should stick with you. Um, it, you know, if you can't if you can't back up the feedback that you're giving or getting, then it's a little bit harder to uh, 
harder to use that feedback. And I think that's a good thing to keep in mind when you're giving that feedback to yourself even. Like, what evidence do I have <laughs> that um, I got up there and just choked? Like, yeah. did I really get up there and choke? Or, you know, did I get my message across? Yes or no? Um, if I got my message across, then that's primarily the most important thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it may not have been gorgeous and beautiful, but nobody's perfect. <laughs> and we're all, you know, we're all works in progress. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. As we wind down our time here on today's conversation, I have a couple questions to finish things out. And the first one is just finishing off with Toastmasters and specifically with Queen City Toastmasters. If there's anyone listening and I guess you can generalize it if you want. I mean, maybe they're not in the Charlotte area and they're not close enough to the Queen City location, but they're interested in attending their first Toastmasters meeting. Can you give us a little sales pitch, if you will, as to why someone should take that leap and go to their first meeting and check it out? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I generally, if if you're interested in, if you're interested in public speaking at all, if you're interested in developing yourself as a leader, um, or really if you are looking to gain more self-confidence, hang out with a fun group of people, have some laughs, learn something, then Toastmasters is a great organization to really to, to excuse me to to come check out. And if if you really are interested in public speaking or you're interested in developing yourself as a leader, then chances are you know we have at Queen City what we refer to as your why. Um, and so there, there's a reason that you want to be better. Like, is there a message that you want to get out to the world? And you can't do that unless you can express yourself eloquently and clearly and in a way that excites people. And so I just, I like to invite people to join Queen Queen City, come visit us join us, become a member either way and let us help you to achieve that. Why? And I think when people come to visit and they see the energy and the speakers and the feedback that we give each other and just, just the overall environment of Queen City Toastmasters in specific, um, then they realize that we're, we're a great place to help you achieve whatever that why is in your life that you've, you've been looking for. Because you're out there looking. <laughs> you're looking for a way to achieve that why. And I think that giving Toastmasters a chance is, is, is an amazing, it's an amazing avenue to achieve a lot of things. Yeah, that's awesome. And the find your why obviously is a really good bridge, I think, to this whole conversation and everything that we talked about. So that was a really good way to wrap everything up as we enter into my final question for you today. The show is called Dynamic Leaders. And I say this to all of my guests. Obviously, there are a number of people throughout your life that really touch you and really motivate you. They help you grow it's hard to narrow it down to one. I realize this, but is there one person that you'd like to give a quick shout out to today that really stands out as a leader in your life? Can I give like two? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So my first shout out is to Dr. Rebecca Stinson. Um, She is one of my amazing mentors and somebody that I look up to as an incredible, dynamic, passionate leader um, who is really working hard to make veterinary medicine an amazing profession. Um, so she's, she's somebody that I know well personally, 
and the other the other person I see as, as a hugely inspirational leader in the veterinary world uh, is Dr. Betsy Charles. And so she is our, our fearless leader at the Veterinary Leadership Institute. Um, I think she, she has touched so many lives with her story um, and the information and teachings and the experience that she helps to provide at VLE. And she is another amazing person who is working so hard to make veterinary, veterinary medicine the most that it can be. Very cool. Awesome way to end this conversation. Two great shout outs. Before I forget, is there a way that people who listen to this conversation and they enjoyed it, maybe they want to learn more about the veterinarian field or just reach out and say, wow, thanks for providing me with such a great <laughs> podcast episode. Is there a way somebody can easily get in touch with you, maybe email, social media, something like that? Sure. Um, I am Elise Levy on Facebook. If you are interested in learning more about veterinary medicine and you live in the state of North Carolina, you can find a lot of really great information about our profession um, through the North Carolina Veterinary Medical Association, which I'm, I'm also involved in on, on our membership committee. But they're, they're a great organization that's working really hard to make sure that um, we are allowed to practice veterinary medicine in, in the state of North Carolina the way that it, it should be practiced. Awesome. I will put that in the show notes and also put the information for the veterinarian committee membership information and all that with also the Queen City Toastmasters. So anybody wants to quick reference that, it's all right there in the show notes for this episode. But we have to let you go. The conversation has to come to an end for today. (laughs) But uh, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. It was great to have everybody hear a little bit more about your story and just be able to learn from your expertise and your perspective. I think people are going to really walk away with a lot of great insight from this and it's just been awesome to have you on. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for the conversation. That wraps up my conversation with Elise. Thank you again to her for hopping on the podcast. It was great to chat with her and learn all about the veterinarian world and everything that's going on with Queen City Toastmasters. All the information to what we talked about is in the show notes, just as a reminder. Quick shout out to my sponsor, Sweat with Stods. Go to www.sweatwithstods.com today to see what she can do for your fitness future tomorrow. Thank you as always to my listeners for you guys coming back week after week. I certainly do appreciate it. There's no podcast Thursday this week, but we are back next week 